Hello and welcome to this episode of Superhero Ethics. Friends, my theology-loving heart is so happy today because if you've seen the movie Thor Love and Thunder, if you haven't, hit stop now and go see it. But if you have, you know that one of the main topics is the idea of gods and what happens to people when they feel the gods don't live up to what they expect from them and how do we expect things from them. And there are so much theological questioning that comes out of this movie and myself and a, a good rabbi friend who I've met through TikTok are going to be jumping into these questions right after this commercial break. We have no control over. Welcome back. My name is Matthew. I'm your host. I use they, them pronouns. And friends, I've been telling you a lot about how I've been getting more involved in TikTok. And one of the reasons I've been doing so is because I keep finding these wonderful creators that I'm inspired by the stuff they're creating. I want to get them on the podcast in some way or another. And one of the people I've been a really big fan of for a while is Rabbi Micah, aka Pop Culture Rabbi on TikTok and Twitter. He does great content looking at all sorts of interesting things about um, Marvel, Star Wars, all the stuff being talked about in pop culture. And so when I saw this movie and I left it thinking, there's got to be someone out there who's thinking about the book of Job right now and thinking about the nature of gods and divinity and theodicy. I need Rabbi Micah. I need to get Rabbi Micah on this podcast. I reached out to Micah. He was all for it. So Micah, I'm so good to have you with us. Um, say hello. Hello, Matthew. I'm so glad to be here. Thank you so much for having me. And yes, I I don't even know if I walked out of the theater thinking about the Odyssey and the Book of Job. I think I was thinking about it from pretty much the first scene where you see Gore praying in the desert. And um, again, spoilers ahead. If you haven't seen the movie, you should go out and see it and then listen to the rest of this conversation. But yes, I was thinking about it from the very beginning. Well, that's great. I'm so glad we're talking about this. And we're going to be Trust me, you do not have to have a seminary degree to to be a part of this conversation. We're going to keep it in fairly basic layman's terms. But probably the term we'll be throwing around the most today is theodicy. Um, Michael, how would you define that term? I would say that theodicy is God's presence in the universe and the question of how evil exists if God is all-knowing and all-powerful. Yeah, I, I think that's a really good way to say it. I think that it's a... Part of why I love the movie is that that that's the question Gore is asking. Like, if the gods are supposed to take care of people, why does suffering happen? Um, and, and it's a question, I think, that gets asked again and again in literature by real people all the time. Um, my first introduction to it was uh, in The Grand Inquisitor by Dostoevsky, which is this wonderful story about a uh, an inquisitor in imperial Russia who puts Jesus on trial and says, how if your plan in, can... can involve a younger a young child suffering how how can this possibly be it's a question people have been asking again and again in in every religion i think in some way or another depending on their understanding of divinity and i think this movie pretty intentionally is raising that and i'm looking forward to getting to discuss it no it absolutely is raising that issue and what needs to be pointed out about the odyssey is it's all predicated on an assumption that god is all powerful that god is all knowing and there is a third one, which isn't part of necessarily the theodicy argument, but that God is all loving. But all of that yeah. is presupposing a theological point of view that those things are true about the gods, right. right? That's a human assumption that we place on God. And so the question becomes, is that the nature of God too, right? And so that's a right. question that theodicy deals with the question really of if God is all-knowing 
and knows everything that's going to happen, but also all powerful, how can suffering occur? All the issues right. with God occur because of suffering. If suffering's not on the table, then there's no issue, really. It's the question becomes, the question only arises when suffering is on the table. Right. I've got some atheist friends who'd raise a couple other good questions, but I think you're right. For for our purposes today, that's definitely what we're talking about is in terms of the like, and I think you're right. For most people, when we start to think about the Odyssey, it's often by challenging one of those assumptions that we we can find some peace with it. Right. And and to be clear, like with the atheists, that's a whole other conversation. And many of the issues that they have with God have to do with um, randomness versus predetermination and other attributes that we give to the gods thor love and thunder is dealing explicitly in all power in omniscience and omnipotence in all powerful and all-knowing and that's what it's concerned with and that's the framework of i think of this discussion right definitely so talk let's let's kind of go through the movie itself and first starting just before you saw the movie um first of all like i assume you'd seen some of the other thor movies and as you said, kind of the one thing I think is often forgotten, especially by people in kind of Western, primarily Christian, although often sometimes uh, Judaic or Islamic communities, the monotheistic Abrahamic religions, we often think of gods, the, the, the God is, like you said, it's one all-knowing, all-powerful being. Thor is coming out of a very different kind of idea. It's much more of the, you know, polytheistic, many gods who have their foibles or kind of like superhuman types. What was kind of your take on Thor as a God, uh, even before you saw this particular movie? You know, it's interesting. I, this was the first movie that really made me think of Thor as a God. I just don't know that his God status was all that important uh, in the first three movies. And they really dismiss it in the MCU very early on mm-hmm. when they say, oh, you all call us gods. Right. But, you know, we're not really gods. Um, again, the question becomes, and, and what I love about Thor is, is like, what is, what's your responsibility with power? Right. You know, and I don't know where this idea of God or the gods being all powerful and all knowing and all loving comes from originally mm-hmm. i don't know when that started to take hold but definitely in the polytheistic religions no god was all powerful zeus right. kills um chronos right i think it's chronos yeah zeus kills chronos who had killed um, um who had killed uranus mm-hmm. i think i'm mixing greek and roman but we'll we'll forgive right. we'll forgive this uh rabbi uh, <laughs> mixing mixing uh, the Greek and Roman gods. But Zeus wasn't all-powerful. He was just the most cunning. So he was right. clever and knowing, but he had no idea if his plan would work. And so the ancient gods were not all-powerful and all-knowing. They were just powerful and knowing. Right. And we definitely get in Thor a powerful and knowing God, but definitely with limits to that power and there's power scaling and whatnot. So Thor as a God, I think very much fits that 
older mold and theology of what the gods were, as opposed to this more modern theology of God being, as we've said over and over again, omniscient, omnipotent, and all-loving. Right. And to be clear, there still are many religious traditions that still hold to more polytheistic ideas or ideas of God that is not omniscient uh, or all-knowing or, or what have you or all-powerful. I I'd even uh, Some of my own theology leans in that direction, as, as, as we'll go into, I'm sure. Um, and yeah, I, I thought that was one of the reasons why I was most interested in this, because I, I agree with you. It seemed that they had said very clearly, and I think they've done this in the comic books as well, Thor, Thor was a incredibly powerful person compared to the, you know, fisher folk of Norway in the 800s or the, around then. And so they perceived him and Loki and Odin and all them as gods. And thus, in many ways, it's very much a like early Star Trek Roddenberry idea that every god is just some superhuman being that we mere mortals can't perceive. And so we call it a god. Right. Um, and, and I remember thinking that Thor was thus kind of an interesting character for the gore story. Since the kind of god that Gore seems to be angry against doesn't really fit Thor uh, much. And so just, just going in that, in that a little further, were you someone who knew the comics well? Like, did you know the story of Gore before this movie? Yeah, I did know the story of Gore. Um, it's a run by Jason Aaron. Um, mm -hmm. And I believe it was in 2012 or so. Gore... Um, and it's been a while since I've read it, but it, ostensibly Gore loses his family and then gets the Necro Sword and goes around and starts killing gods. Right. Because the gods aren't living up to their end of the bargain. So yeah. I was familiar with Gore. I thought Gore, and I still think Gore is just a fascinating, amazing character. Uh, I kind of wish... Uh, I don't believe in the comics that he gets corrupted by the Necro Sword, but rather mm. he's like, no, this is, I mean, you know, it's like uh, the death of God, right? It's right. No, he wants to kill the gods because he feels the gods have betrayed him, haven't lived up yeah. to their end of the bargain. And so that is something that I felt was a little, a little bit of a cheat in the movie mm -hmm. because Thor really should, or Gore, not Thor, that Gore really should be uh, angry at the gods. And it's it, yeah. it took away a little bit of Gore's agency in the film yeah. that I believe he had in the comics. And I mean, agency is another big thing for us to talk about, I think, which mm. is the ability to act freely. Right. And right. in a universe where you can act freely, suddenly interference from the gods and understanding the role of gods changes. Right. I, I mean, that's, I think, often another part of the question that we wrestle with. And I'll say I um I, I think you all have mostly been free of this, but like there's certainly been swaths of my own tradition in Christianity that have said, because the, the thing is, if humans have agency, then God, how can God know what we're all going to do and be all powerful and the like? And so, you know, in, especially in uh, 16, 17, 1800s, but also even still today, there were some parts of the Protestant churches, particularly Presbyterian type things, and a lot of the early settlers to this country were of the like, well, actually humans don't have agency. It's all predetermined. You know, this is what predestination means. So, yeah, all these questions are coming up. And I, 
I think I agree with you there that I, in many ways, part of why I wanted to have this conversation is I was both intrigued, but also a little frustrated by the movie because I felt like it was opening up some doors. But then, yeah, I was using the Necrosword when I was like, wait a minute, like I, I love a good villain, especially a villain where I somewhat agree with them, like a Magneto or a Killmonger. And as someone who's worked for God or, you know, God people on various occasions, I think I'm very sympathetic to Gore in a lot of ways, you know, especially with the vision of gods that he sees. Did you do you have kind of a similar experience from the comics or the movie? I think I want to be really clear because I think it's important for people to know it is 100 percent all right to be angry with God to question God, to question the existence of God. And questioning mm-hmm. is not a lack of faith. And I do think that there are times where we feel like, oh, if I question, then I don't have faith. What we don't make a lot of room for in modernity is room to be angry with God. Mm-hmm. That God is big enough to handle our anger, too. If God can handle our love and our worship, then God should also be able to handle our anger. And that's what what's interesting, too, in the movie is that Gore really is angry with the gods and gets to be angry with them. I don't approve of Gore's methods, you know, um, We'll, we'll make it a metaphor, you know. I don't think that, yeah. I do not think that we should go around slaying gods, even mm-hmm. psychically. You know, I don't think that that's the healthy way to have a relationship with God. And I also don't think necessarily it's healthy to completely walk away, but rather to get angry sometimes, to yell at the wind. Right. You know, there's that great story in Kings with Elijah, the prophet where he's standing in the cave and he's angry at God and there's fire and there's wind. And the Bible says that God was not in the fire. God was not in the wind. God was not in the earthquake, but God was this still small voice, this murmuring that whispered to Elijah, you know, because again, God can handle it. And, and really, you know, we do see gods that can't handle it. Zeus can't handle mm-hmm. Thor questioning him, right? Right. You know, and we inherit so much baggage from our ancestors and so much baggage from their theology, right? And their mm-hmm. way of understanding the world. I mean, our our Greek and Roman ancestors and even our Mesopotamian ancestors really saw the gods as really separate from humanity and at the same time very, very irritated with humanity and only used humans insofar as only used humans in a utilitarian way, right? Right. Humans were useful or they were not useful. Humans made noise and needed to be quieted, but they also needed to tend the earth, but just do it quietly. That was the Mesopotamian myth. You know, so this idea of gods being loving, which again, Thor, love and thunder does not really address this. Mm -hmm. Well, no, I'm sorry. Thor, love and thunder doesn't address all knowing gods. It addresses the relationship between love and power. And that's what's interesting in terms of theodicy is theodicy doesn't always, theodicy usually deals with those three things. 
gods. Not just two of them, mm-hmm. but Thor deals with love and power. So right. it deals with gods that have power, but no love and compassion. And humans yeah, I, who have love, but no power. Yeah, I, th- I think for the most part, none of the gods in the movie are portrayed, are thought to be either omnipresent or omni, you know, omniscient or omnipotent. Um, that there is an offhand reference that, that even as a Christian, I didn't love when, when they're walking through and looking at all the gods. It's like, oh, look, there's the god of carpentry that I think they put in just to either A, have a bit of a laugh, or more importantly, so that if some Christian right nonsense starts critiquing the movie, they can be like, look, look, we put Jesus in your movie. To be fair, um, to be fair though, Jesus is a mm-hmm. part of Marvel Comics. There was a comic that came what? out in the 90s. <laughs> what? Oh, you no. can go, Marvel published a comic, not a superhero comic, it was a... Right. a, a I think it was like Jesus Tales or something along those lines in comic book form. (laughs) There's actually, there's a great uh, Christian Bible, uh, comic Christian Bible, uh, which... I can see that. Which, the name of which is escaping me, but it is amazing. He, the author, made Mm. made an entire comic book out of, out of the Bible and illustrates, just illustrates, it's beautiful illustration. And so... I don't think it was done in a blasphemous sort of way. Oh, I'm not worried about the blasphemy. To be very clear, I'm on the exact opposite. I'm like, please, my my, I love my religion, but we have way too much power in the world already. I want us pulling back, not having Marvel comics. But yeah, I just thought the Carpenter God thing was funny. But but yeah, other than any of that, it's mostly polytheistic gods of various kinds or Mm -hmm. others. And I, I think that's an interesting way that they're approaching the question, because, yeah, there isn't. There isn't this idea of omnipotence, but there is still this idea of you have power and you have responsibility. And I think the – I forget the name of the god that Gore slays at the beginning. I, we may not even hear it. I don't remember. But it's interesting because I think of the kind of – you know, the, the three-legged stool of theodicy, that god clearly just doesn't love. That isn't an all-loving god. That's a god who – has happily spread propaganda so that everybody will love him and and he'll get worshipped and, and adored. But yeah, he doesn't care about people. And I really loved that perspective because I think that is a – I think that's one of the first things that – I want to back up here a second and say because I think I've got a very varied audience in terms of this. you know. And so both Rabbi Micah and myself speak from a perspective of our own religious traditions – and if you're in those traditions, you may understand it from that perspective. If you're not, that you're just as welcome to this conversation as well. And some of what we're saying isn't going to be in your context, and that's totally fine as well. And we're not trying to push that by any means. But I I felt very like when 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 Gore experiences that, the number of times in my congregation or in my counseling work, I dealt with people who, because they were thinking in terms of the good things in my life are because of God. When the bad things happened, it quickly became, well, how could I believe, you know, how could God let me do this? How could God let this happen? How could God let this cancer happen? Or just this red light when I'm late for work? You know, it can be the very big or the very small things. Well, and I think that that's the question too, right? Is if I'm thankful to God for the good and God's involved in the good, then God, reason of it stands to reason, would equally be involved in the bad, so uh, right. there's another concept. And, and again, I think your point's really good, Matthew, which is 
This is not an exclusive conversation for people who believe or don't believe. It's partially a conversation to have a conversation about the nature of the universe. And I think anybody that I would look at this conversation less about how the universe operates, if there's a God, if there isn't and all that and more to understand how do I understand the universe from a spiritual perspective? How do I connect to the universe and what happens? How do I understand the events of my life? Um, And one way is to understand that everything is just random and things happen and whatnot. Mm -hmm. That doesn't work so much for me because I just, in my experience, the way I understand the universe is everything's connected. And there's a music to it. And I don't understand the music. I don't Mm -hmm. always get it. I like to always say uh, I often see God in the rearview mirror, not in the moments, but afterwards. Uh, And a really important concept to discuss, a good concept to have in the vocabulary, is this idea of imminence versus transcendence. Mm. Now, a transcendent God is a lot like eternity in the in the movie right. a god that is completely removed from the machinations of the daily machinations of the universe and is concerned with the unfolding of the universe on a cosmic scale and in marvel you have you have these beings who are right. who are completely transcendent is completely irrelevant right the, the Watchers, until the late episodes of the What If show, are, are a pretty good idea, uh, image of the kind of thing you're talking about here. Actually, the Watchers are imminent. They just don't do anything. So imminent, mm, okay, imminent is involved in the daily machinations, is the gods who, and, and these are the, the gods of mythology and of the Bible, where God is involved in the daily machinations. So Thor is an imminent God. Even Zeus, who doesn't want to get involved, is still an imminent God, Mm -hmm. has the ability for imminence. Transcendence is this idea of, um, Aristotle has this idea of the unmoved mover, where God is the first cause, right? What we might call the Big Bang or the watchmaker. Not not to... Not yeah the the the, the kind of uh, day, deist ideas yes not not to jump around between uh, fandoms but I think you could argue by some of the characters interpretations the force could be seen as a transcendent idea of divinity um, again the force has transcendent and imminent aspects to it yeah is what I would say well that's like. Qui-Gon Jinn would say it's imminent. Yoda would say it's transcendent. <laughs> I think there's a, that's where you get some characters arguing right and. But the will of the idea of the will of the force, just again to mm-hmm. mix um, franchises, the idea of the will of the force is imminent. Right. Is the force guides you, right? The force is in relationship with you. The transcendent side of the force is the side of the force where Yoda and Obi Wan go into. The uh, we'll just call it the afterlife for right. I, I know there's a term for it, but I was not prepared to discuss Star Wars today, so I haven't prepared <laughs> my fine. Star Wars notes. I apologize, but 
if you watch Star Wars, I believe it's Rebels, they go to the transcendent place of the Force. And so transcendence really is, and and I think that it's a hard, I think it's the concept that most people would go, oh yeah, that's actually probably, if there is a God, that's what I could believe in. But it's also the most foreign to us as humans because we are all about imminent gods, the gods that step in and try to save or try to change the course of human events, miracles. That's the gods that we're very much about that a lot of us have problems with and doubt. And the gods that we're less familiar, the idea of God that we're less familiar with is the idea of this transcendent God, which is uh, much more like eternity at the end. Right. Yeah, I think it's very true. I think we want to personify things. We want to think of things in terms of a a human-like figure. I mean, one of the things I've always loved about the Bible is that it kind of, um, uh, you know, the first two stories of Genesis are giving these two very different images of a God, one that just floats over the water and one that is a literal you know, being walking in the garden. Yes. Um, I've I've always seen those two stories as a big stop sign saying, you will hear, you will find truth, not fact. But that's a whole other story. Um, but yeah, pulling it, ba- pulling it back to this, I think those are so important because, like, in some ways, that's what I find so interesting is I have only ever thought of theodicy in terms of this very kind of Abrahamic monotheistic idea of gods. And here it's being looked at, though, from the exact opposite, from it's, yeah, the gods are are very much um, imminent. They're very much non-all-powerful. They appear all-powerful to the the lesser beings, as, as they might put it, that they deal with. But, you know, Zeus can be harmed by his own lightning bolt. Thor and Loki certainly are not all-powerful. They just appear that way to, to humans who humans who haven't had a super serum or something like right. that. And, and we have to... In Thor, Love, and Thunder, they... So to have all-powerful gods is not fun in terms of yeah. cinema. You have to have characters with weaknesses. So even though the characters aren't omnipotent, for the sake of this conversation, I would say I think it's okay to say they're like – it's as though they were omnipotent because right. because it, there has to be a story. And for again, for stories to be interesting – there have to be stakes and there wouldn't be any stakes if you really had omnipotent gods. Eternity's omnipotent, I guess, is really right. like the omnipotent one. But uh, it, it would be really boring if every character was like that. So for the sake, though, of the theology of Thor, Love and Thunder, uh, I think it's OK to read these characters as all powerful, even though we kind of right. know they're not, but we can kind of cheat in our head and go, okay, they're having a conversation between power, being all powerful and all loving. I, I just, I, I want to talk about this triangle a little bit because I think it's mm-hmm. interesting and I think it's useful for people uh, just to dive into what we're talking about. So if God, the question becomes if God is all-powerful and all-knowing and all-loving, then how does something like the Holocaust happen? Right. Okay, right. Not all, theodicy is a question that people have talked about for genera- centuries, right. but certainly an awful lot of great thought came about from Jewish scholars in the 40s and 50s right. and, after that. And absolutely. I don't want to make it sound like you can only ask this question about the Holocaust. The Holocaust is just 
a great example. World War One, World right. War Two. So if God's all loving, how could take it away from the Holocaust? We'll just talk World War Two. If God's all loving, all knowing, and all powerful, how does God allow these atrocities and God's people to suffer and get killed? So the answer to the question is that God can only be two out of those three things. What do I mean? So again, we'll go with World War II or the Holocaust. If God is all-loving and all-powerful, but not all-knowing, then God doesn't know the result of interference. And that's where you get free will a little bit, but also it's like, okay, I love and I'm powerful, but I don't know what's going to happen. So maybe I don't interfere because sometimes humans work things out for themselves and whatnot. I don't know. I could make it worse. And again, we're totally personifying God, right? That God right. makes statements like, makes I statements. But, um, you know, if God is all powerful and all knowing and not all loving, then suffering's really easy to explain. I know and I'm powerful, but I don't care. That's, that is um, the first God that we see in the movie. All powerful. Right. Potentially all-knowing, probably not. Like I said, they don't really get into all-knowing in Thor, Love, and Thunder. But then it's easy because that God's not all-loving. And then if God is right. if God is all-knowing and all-loving, but not all-powerful, then God can't change right. things. Because God doesn't have the power to change things. So for suffering to make sense and for one's theology and God to make sense, only two of those three things can be true at any given time. And I really appreciate you saying that because I do want to say that I think much more within my own traditions of Christianity, but I think you can find this in a lot of different religions that have this question, there are attempts to say you can have all three be true. And I think the most common is the idea of, oh, because the suffering we see has some larger purpose or God allows the suffering because he wants there to be, and I'm using he because that's the language they would use, because this God wants us to suffer so that we can then find salvation or because we're all being, you know, punished for Adam and Eve. And I, um, to me, one of my, I, I think one of the best people who has, certainly people have all seen a TikTok of it probably, Stephen Fry, the British actor, you know, he gave that great interview where someone said to him, you know, what would you ever say if you met God? He would see, and he, I don't want to paraphrase him, he says some version of like childhood leukemia. What's that about? Why would you do that? And and he gives, I think, the perfect response, which is that the to try to justify that God could be all three by saying that there's some purpose for the suffering, for me at least, that if the, if I were to learn that that is true about God, then I'd be like, well, I'm, I'm done. I don't, I don't want anything to do with that kind of an idea of a God. Cause, so I really like the way he posed it as, it's probably two out of three because I think some people do try to square that circle or that triangle and I don't think it works. And that's just it is there's a difference. And what I love about what you said, what was so beautiful about it is it's not that I don't believe in that God. It's I don't want anything to do with that God. You know yeah. what? If I have to suffer in hell for things that are beyond my control or whatnot, well then I'm, less than not believing in God, I'm just not going to care anymore, right? And that becomes problematic too because then you can get anarchy and whatnot and, you know, you also can get a lot of depression. What, what I'll also say 
And I think this is a lot of people's issues. But I will say that I think that a God that I think that a God that does that isn't all loving. Yeah. Right. Like you that. might. So if you gave me that argument, trying to s- circle the mm-hmm. triangle, I would say to yeah. you, yeah, that's an all powerful, all knowing God that doesn't love. It's yeah. it is simple to me to do that is I would just remove love from that equation because yeah, because me, that's a utilitarian kind of idea of. Oh, this little girl has to suffer with cancer because it's good for the overall whole in some way. And yeah, I think that's not. Otherwise, it's abusive. And yeah. that's an older notion, right? That's a notion that maybe our grandparents had that like, I'm I'm mm-hmm. giving you a whooping for your own good, right? Right. And now we know that that's abusive. That's not love. And so when something like leukemia happens to look at it as a punishment from God, that's fine, but you're not dealing with an all loving God. The idea that God is going to do these things to innocent people or hold children accountable for the sins of their parents isn't an all loving God, you know? And and before anybody gets into like this, oh, the Old Testament God was like that. Hold on. Hold on. That's not what it says. That's not what it means. It's a metaphor. Um, give me a call. We'll study it together. And like just yeah. before we get into like. It, it's a very common anti-Semitic trope that had not. I mean, Jesus was himself a rabbi in whatever way he did or didn't exist. And yeah, it's only much later particularly after the Jews are defeated by the Romans, that this group of Jesus-loving Jews and, and Greek Greeks who were affiliated them all of a sudden said, oh, Rome, you're at war with the Jews? No, 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 we're not Jewish. We're, we're, we're something totally different. Yeah. So, And that's when some of the first, like, oh, the, the Old Testament's a book of law and the New Testament's a book of love. I mean, that's all anti-Semitic well, hockey. But, and we want to, you know, listen, we... Uh, to get back to Thor, Love, and Thunder, we want a universe that loves us. Otherwise, yeah. the universe is a really cold, lonely place. Right. You know? And I think that's, I, I often think that that's one of the most fascinating things. I think we want a universe that loves us, but we also just, humans have a huge problem, especially humans in, raised in these kind of Abrahamic traditions where there's an idea that everything matters for some way. Um, which I think there is some truth to, but 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 not entirely. There's this real sense to, to human minds don't want randomness. You know, our brains are pattern finding machines, and they're very very good at it. But the first, but we don't deal well with the idea that sometimes when you're late for work, three lights in a row are red just because that's the law of averages, not because someone hates you. Um, or is pu- or, sound let's say punishing you, right? Yeah, exactly. It, like because. They would argue that it is because somebody would say, ah, you got those three red lights because you are being punished, not because God hates you, but because God is trying to teach you a lesson. And again, that's poor pedagogy. Um, Yeah. And so you get a bunch of gods in Thor, Love and Thunder who are, for all intents and purposes, are all powerful. And what Mm -hmm. humans create is the love. Humans give the love to the universe, the the meaning, the caring, right? Because otherwise, it's just a bunch of 
gods hanging out in an amphitheater listening to some dude talk about an orgy. I mean, it it is right. vacuous at that point. And, and I know they play it for a laugh, but and that's the commentary within that joke is that yeah. otherwise you just have hedonism and there's issues with hedonism, right? Hedonism is the pursuit of pleasure above everything else. But the problem with hedonism is my pleasure can be at your expense and it doesn't matter because it's about my pleasure. So, and that's just one of the issues with hedonism. And so, so in Thor love and thunder, even though that's a joke that they play for laughs, there's actually a deep message in there about what happens when you just have power is you fall into hedonism. You fall into selfishness. You fall into narcissism and that the universe has to have love in it because love is what connects you, right? Without love, right. you're not connected, I think maybe is, right. the, is the answer, right? And without connection, you, it corrupts you. And maybe that's what the right. necrosword is. And maybe that's what happens to Gore in a metaphoric way is mm. once love is taken away from him, and I'm not talking about the girl, I'm talking about the love that he right. felt for the girl. Um, once that's taken away, he becomes corrupted the way any of us would, right? Anger right. takes over. The darkness, the shadows take over. And and now we're back to the Star Wars metaphor that, you know, in terms of the... And I, I love what you're talking about there. I think I have a little bit of a different read on what we see in an amphitheater because... And I will also say, I, I definitely believe that ethical hedonism is very possible. I want to just give a quick defense for that. There is also... Um, but, I, I will also say, and I'll give a quick shout out for... Um, not just ethical hedonism, but altruistic hedonism. Yeah, absolutely. Which I also absolutely. think, you know, that whole question, can you do anything completely unselfishly? And it's like, actually, it can be selfish and it can be altruistic yeah. and self-serving. And that's okay, too. If you get a good feeling inside by feeding a person who might not otherwise be fed, like, yeah, is it, are you benefiting? Yes, but the person's also getting fed. Right. and. The fact that you're the kind of person who feels good by doing something like that for a stranger is in self, that's a good trait. Um, but what, where I was going with that is what I saw in that amphitheater was all of those gods are, one, you know, assuming that this is happening in the present day, you know, Greece for the most part no longer worships Zeus. Um, you know, most of Norway and Scandinavia no longer worships Thor. There are, I want to be very clear, you know, neo-pagan and pagan communities in the world today, I, I've learned quite a lot from being part of them that do. But for the most part, I thought part of the idea was that those god, those gods in the amphitheater were, it, it was kind of like uh, the American gods idea uh, in that book. Mm -hmm. um, by Neil. You know, they've been forgotten. By Neil Gaiman. Yeah, by Neil Gaiman. Those are gods who have, they, they no longer have connection because no one's giving them responsibility anymore. And that's part of the problem. And now they've just, effed off and don't really care anymore and are just like well it's all about me and my needs now and and in some case like i always thought that in some ways odin is one of the most ethical of the gods because as he says it they made a conscious decision after that last battle against the frost giants way back in like 800 ad 800 common era as we call it to say we're going to now be done with the people of midgard and we're no longer going to be interfering with them and like I think a lot of those gods on um, in uh, Omnipresent World, whatever it was called, 
I believe it was um, on. Terrible. I believe it was Omnipotent City, but I'm not sure. That's it. That's it. I think uh, you know that they've all. They're the ones who've been forgotten for the most part and left behind, and now they're looking for something to do. Right, and it, it's really interesting. I, I don't know if you have kids yet, Matthew, or if you're planning on having kids, but um, I don't. It, it is. It is interesting, and again, ever any way is totally fine. <laughs> um, <laughs> But there is an idea. It's interesting. You have a kid, or I have, I shouldn't say you. I have a kid, and I, I have two, and those children require responsibility. Right. And it's, it's almost counterintuitive that responsibility and caring for others would actually enrich your life and make you happier, right? To love, mm-hmm. to love the other, to give of yourself for somebody else, it's counterintuitive. It shouldn't make you happier, right? I'm doing this right. for you. Wait, wait, how could me doing something for you make me happier, right? Logically, right. I'm not getting any sleep at night. I'm paying a lot more money for your clothes and I'm spending, you know, yeah, it changes your life significantly. But, but without responsibility, it is corrosive. I, and maybe this is the argument that Thor, Love, and Thunder... I'm not making this argument, actually. I'm thinking that Thor, Love, and Thunder is making this argument that without responsibility towards others, without relationship, without mm-hmm. giving, it is corrosive to an individual. And that's what ultimately happens to the gods when they don't have any more responsibility to others is it becomes corrosive to the soul. And maybe that's right. one of the themes also in Thor, Love and Thunder is the corrosive elements to the soul, right? And the thing, the very thing that's killing Jane is the thing that's saving her in those last months, which is that she can give of herself for others, yeah. right? Otherwise, you, she falls into depression and sadness and... You earlier quoted uh, that Aristotle quote of the un- God is the unmoved mover. Um, I-, I tend to be a devotee. Uh, I tend to be uh, very influenced by and kind of find a lot of truth in a particular school of theology that it's a philosophy that, that scans all religions, but also there's a theology particular in, in Christianity called process theology, mm-hmm. which is very much about the idea of like God in these, in, in, in the kind of just the processes of our world all the time of sort of that, the, the quantum God it's often referred to um, the, and, and one of the most popular books in that is very much a play on Aristotle. The most moved mover is the name of the, the book and its description of God. And part of the idea is that like, to be a being that is not in relationship with like that God is in S God is the relationships we have with each other. And I'm not going to try to explain the Trinity. It doesn't really make any sense to me, let alone to anyone else. But that part of that idea is that God couldn't in the Christian understanding, uh, at least this particular part of it, that God couldn't be a singular entity because the definition of the divinity is relationship. And so God is in relationship to itself and, and to each other. That's a my theology teacher is rolling in her grave right now. Um, so you know that I'm not. It's not a perfect explanation. Please don't at me for that. But I think that's one of the kind of ideas that that this movie is getting at. Again, not I'm not saying this is from a Christian or Jewish perspective, but it is that idea of that it is our relationships to each other that that yeah I think that that help give help ground us and help us find responsibility. And and when those are lost, when when the relationships are very one sided, as I think it is between like. To me, in many ways, gore is 
Gore is the, Gore is the child who has learned that the parent doesn't actually care. They've just been like saying, "No, I love you so much. That's why you've got to do the laundry and do the dishes every night, you know. And I'm saving all your money for college, but actually, I'm drinking it away for my own heat, you know." Gore is purposes. I mean, Gore's even worse. Gore is the abandoned, neglected child. Gore has yeah. no relationship with the god. Gore has the promise of a relationship with the god. And yeah. and that's where and that's where process theology I think is somewhat refreshing, is it's like oh okay, um, there's wind and there's the ocean and there's stars and it's all part of this. And again, I'm yeah. I'm butchering process theology too, but that I am a part of this and that God is a part yeah. of this and that we're in this together. Right, that is a big thing in uh, in Judaism is this idea of covenantal relationship, and maybe that's another way of saying process theology is to be in covenant, to be in partnership, that God is in partnership with us, and that we are in partnership with God, and that's what I love. What I love about Thor and Valkyrie and the Mighty mm-hmm. Thor is it's gods that are in relationship with us as humans. Not above us, not beneath us, but in relationship, working with us, trying to help us, you know, and and that's the beauty of that last scene where Thor imbues all the kids with powers, which is just a fun Mm -hmm. scene, too. I just enjoyed it. I want to buy the teddy bear with a light up laser. Oh, my gosh. I think it's adorable. When when I was watching the movie the first time, I've seen it twice now. Uh, I'll probably see it many more times, but when when he gives them all powers, and I see that little girl doesn't go for a weapon and is holding her bunny, I was just like, "I've got to see it." And thank you, Taika Waititi, paid it off. Um, yep. When Thor imbues the people with power to be warriors with him, it is, I think, symbolically, it's totally not a stretch to read that as being in covenant with God, being in partnership with God. God doesn't do the work of the universe alone and we can't do the work of the universe alone, but together we can. Yeah. I've always loved the idea of the the person. And again, this is kind of a, a Christian idea of this kind of prayer, but you know, the person who prays to God, God, why haven't you cured homelessness? And God asks me the same question. Exactly. You know, and that, I, one of the other things that process theology often comes to is kind of the idea of, and here it's where it's kind of almost tran- the transcendent, but still the imminent, uh, and a lot like the force, I think, is that instead of God having a like personality and a, a persona, that God is more like this spiritual form of force of gravity, you know, and that like when you do pass the homeless person and a little part of you is like, oh, maybe I should like give that person a sandwich or give them a dollar or two. That 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 little tug on your mind or your heart that that's what we perceive of as God. Now others can perceive of it in many other ways, right? Um, and and and, I, I, and, and again, I think that it's the difference between here. This has nothing to do with the movie, but are you connected to something larger, or is the universe random? And right. that's a choice that we all make as individuals. And there's, I don't think right. there's a right choice or a wrong choice. I I prefer the connected choice that, yeah. you know, and that's my choice. And it's perfectly okay to have the choice that 
No, it's just a random impulse yeah. in in your body. And I don't think that's untrue, but I don't think that it's not an impulse in your body. I just don't think it's random, right? It's, yeah. It is the idea of, is there a design to the universe? And this movie does not touch on, is there a design to the universe? It really is focused on, on that one question of, you know, why do we suffer and how do we mitigate that suffering, right? Do we mitigate right. it through acts of violence like Gore does, through revenge, mm-hmm. through anger, through, as uh, Star Wars would say, through the dark side? Or do we mitigate it through love, through acts I mean, I, I think, of love? In many ways, I think one of the most theologically powerful parts of that movie and again i'm i'm not saying the people writing the movie were trying to write a christian or jewish allegory i just think we can you can find these themes in anything and i'm sure i, I uh, uh mike and i are coming from our own perspectives i'd love to hear people from from other religious perspectives see how they see this movie for me especially we've been talking about sort of the gods is all powerful the last thing that thor does i I honestly watched the last 20 minutes of that movie very convinced that Thor would defeat Gore, but the door would be open to eternity. And so Thor would go through and would wish for Jane's cancer to be cured. And so I was very surprised with how it did end, especially because at the end, Thor basically realized that he could, his power had a limit. His power could not stop Gore from making that wish. And instead, he just spoke of love and he said, this is why... I am going to act out of love towards Jane, and I I hope you act out of love towards your daughter instead of hate towards the gods, but I leave it to you. And I think that was just such a beautiful statement of, A, the kind of focus on love that you're talking about, but also Thor recognizing the limits of his power, that he couldn't smash this with a hammer. He had to just accept what Gore was going to do. And I'll add on to that, that I think that what the movie really suggests for us is the power of free will that right, right that how do we compete with the gods well we have free will and that's how right. that's our power our superpower right. is choice is the ability to choose and and gore ultimately makes a choice thor puts it in gore's hands to use his free will and right. really quick i'll get into I'll get into this. Uh, And again, I'm just trying to present theological perspectives like process theology, um, the issues with omnipotence, omniscience. I actually have not shared, and nor am I going to really, shared too many of my own personal beliefs because I don't know that that's, that to me is not valuable in this conversation. I think that what I'm hoping from your listeners that's valuable is that this gives some tools for conversation and thought and framing of some ways of understanding the universe. And it's not exhaustive by any stretch of the imagination, nor is it meant to advocate for one way over another, but really to see how humanity has struggled with and tried to answer some of these questions. So there's, Within Judaism, there are four explanations for suffering Mm. and why suffering occurs. Um, Number one is the the idea that we talked about, which is um, 
suffering as an act of love from God, right? Right. I'm going to make you suffer now so that you don't have to suffer in the world to come. All right. Number two. And by the way, Judaism pretty much rejects that one. Um, Number two is um, the idea of an eye for an eye, right? Which is something bad. You did something bad. So something bad happens to you, right? Right. You've turned away from God. So here comes this Persian army as as God's punishment. Exactly. Very, very uh, Book of Kings. Uh, Number three is the Job conversation, right? Which is basically the upshot of Job, which is a great book. Um, A little long in parts, but a good book. Um, And... The upshot with Job is you can't understand the will of God. It is beyond us as humans, right? Because God says to Job, who are you to question me? You know, which I understand we can have issues with that as a response. But really what Job is trying to teach us is. (coughs) So sorry. What Job is trying to teach us is that. What Job is trying to teach us with that comment is that there are things that are beyond our understanding and we have to recognize the limits of exactly what you were talking about, Matthew, the patterns and our ability to understand the patterns is limited because we just don't have a bird's eye view. And then the fourth one, the fourth explanation for suffering in Judaism and why bad things happen. This is more why bad things happen. Mm-hmm. is um is free will right? right bad things happen because humans have free will bad things happen to the gods because gore had and before anybody asks me that gore is not a human humanoids okay um yeah. that not non-divine beings non-divine non-divine sentient beings non-divine sentient beings that we have free will and we can choose destruction or we can choose creation, right? Which is also, by the way, a very godly power that we have, right? Just like God can potentially destroy or build, although, yeah, just like God can either destroy or build, so too can we, you know? And I would argue that We emulate God or we emulate the universe, if you want to go with process theology, much more through acts of creation than acts of destruction. I I really like that. I want to I'm not going to try and turn this into a biblical studies discussion because, you know, that's not that's a very small portion of our audience, much as I would love it. Nor do I want to try and tell a rabbi that I have a better idea of Hebrew scripture than they do. But this is, I, I just want to give it a, is entirely uh, possible that that is true, yeah, by the way. Because I, I, I actually always, for me, the book of Job is very fundamental to my understanding of these questions. And the way I studied it and, and learned it, I see it almost kind of as a, a mix of the three and four you're talking about. And it's where I wind up coming down a lot. But yeah, and so the, where, where I put it, perhaps this is I don't have quite the shyness you do about my own personal thoughts, but it's more just my, my thoughts on that book and how you can approach it. What I have always seen in the book of Job is, you know, you've got all these people who are kind of think giving a lot of the arguments that we've talked about. You know, Job, 
you're suffering, it must be because you sinned in some way you don't know. Or the other friend says, God has a plan that you don't understand. And then at the end of it all, you know, there's this beautiful passage where God speaks out of the whirlwind. And the I haven't studied Hebrew in 20 years, so please correct me if I'm wrong here, but my, my memory is that the language for that whirlwind is very similar to the language used in Genesis about like the the, the, the storm out of which God first began creating. The, the point being that it kind of is saying that, 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 that yes, it's about what we don't understand, but it's, it's about that God is, God doesn't cause the suffering. God is with us in the suffering. That God is be, dealing with all of chaos that we don't understand and trying to bring order and, and, and reason to chaos. But that from that also gets an idea of like, God doesn't cause these terrible things that happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm so sorry. It was just technical issues on my end. I, look, I started critiquing the book of Job. Some computer things happened. You know, <laughs> no coincidence, I'm sure. But but the idea just being that what I've always taken from that, and, and, and certainly to me, like, this is a way that I think some people can find some comfort in the theodicy question is, yeah, is that there is some degree of, maybe not randomness, but chaos in the world. That that perhaps could be understood, perhaps is understood by God, but not necessarily by us, but that God is is with us. In, and, and this is very much perhaps a Christian reading being put onto it, but that it's that that God didn't want that suffering to happen to Job, that God is doing all God can to to battle the chaos, but but that when we look to God to, to, to blame for all of it, to say, oh God, how could you do this? How could you do this? That that's when, you know, when God says all those people who said it's it's, I'm in control of everything. No, I'm not. I'm I'm with Job. I'm not in control of everything. I'm just doing what I can to be with you in this chaos. I think I'm going to disagree with you slightly. And granted, this is not a Bible study. We'll do uh, yeah. one day you and I will do a, a study on the book of Job. <laughs> but um, the text, I don't think supports that. I don't think the text actually supports that hypothesis because mm -hmm. God really goes on for chapters. It's like chapter 38 to 49, I think. Just right. chapters of telling Job, who are you? Were you there when I made the hippopotamus? Were you there when right. I slayed the Leviathan? No. So sit down. You know, because the whole thing is that Job finally mouths off to God, right? Mm -hmm. How could you have done all this to me? Why am I suffering? And God tells him to um, sit back down, <laughs> you know, right. know, know that you weren't here with all of these things. You know, you don't understand why this is happening. Job is a much more predeterministic book than... Mm than other books in the Bible. Um, that God has a plan and that God's doing things for reasons and that those reasons potentially transcend um, human understanding. Right. Uh, and so I, I think that that is where I would slightly disagree on, on that reading of Job. Although I like it. I, I love it as, I love it as a sermon. Um, mm -hmm. you know, I do love the idea that God is in it with us, you know, and, and I think that's also, you see, I think that fits better into the free will argument. Right. Right. And I think that fits better into the Thor love and thunder argument, which is that 
Thor is in the suffering with us, right? Yeah. Thor can't prevent the suffering, but Thor's there, you know? Right. Thor's trying his best, and... and... And certainly, I think either way, we have different, a little bit different readings, but we're both coming to that same place of, you know, God... God isn't that 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 God may have some understanding of the randomness beyond that we do, but but that you know because again it comes down to that idea of the human need to find the pattern. Um, this is kind of an aside, but I think it's very relevant. Uh, I I've spent a good deal of my life, among other things, playing poker. I'm a, a big fan of it. For a couple of year, about a year or so, I supported myself playing poker, and and mostly the way through seminary, I paid a lot of my uh, seminary dues paying playing poker. Um, and people knew what I was doing. We talked a lot because I got to know people. And I would start to have these people come to me and say, look, like, I feel like I never get the cards I want, like that I need. Like, is God, someone always catches the flush against me. Is is God mad at me? What am I doing? And, and my response would often be like, look, God probably doesn't want you to draw to an inside straight as often as you do. Like, you're just not playing very well, you know, but it's just like, like, that human need to look at anything random and say, I, I would rather think that I blame myself instead of that there could just be this randomness and this chaos. And and in some ways I feel like I that's one of the things that I really wanted from the movie is I want – you had one god who was a clear, like, terrible god. I, I know a lot of people said they wanted to see Gore kill more gods. I would have loved that too. Particularly I would love it if, if Thor – if Gore found a couple of other gods who were – like his first god, who just didn't really care, and like the suffering of the the non divine beings that they were supposedly the god of, they just ignored. But then you came to some other god who, you know, some great natural disaster had come to their people, and this god had done everything they could to stop it, but couldn't stop it. But now all the people blamed God, and Gore wanted to kill the god, and maybe that was an interesting part of it. Like I think there there's just so much more they could have done with those stories. I, I don't disagree. I mean, look, you got to make a 90-minute movie, 120-minute movie, yeah, of course. Also true. Um, and what I would say... So, first off, you bring up a fascinating conversation about randomness in the universe mm -hmm. and can, can God exist in a universe where there's randomness? And again, I think if one abandons the presupposition that god is all-knowing all-powerful and all-loving but re-examines what the actual nature of god is like in process theology then all of a sudden randomness can exist and that's yeah. how free will can exist and so what i'm hoping is is that people see how these things kind of start to come together to paint different theologies and by the way some right. people don't need these theologies some people are perfectly happy yeah. with the all-knowing all-loving and all-powerful gods but I don't know that... Or without any God at all. Like, you know, it can go either way. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but I will say this. And this is always the limitation of storytelling. And this was something that I learned in seminary. And I'm sure you did too, Matthew, at some point. Is your sermon should be about one thing. Mm -hmm. Right? I, I can't tell I you... I was never good at that. I can't tell you how many times I'm writing a sermon... And I'm rereading it or I get stuck and I realize that like my fourth to seventh paragraphs are actually a totally different sermon. Mm -hmm. And so I take it out and I save it for another time. And 
what I would say is, is again, the sermon, or the, what we would say in academia, the thesis of Thor, Love and Thunder is about all powerful and all loving or the, right. the relationship between love and power. And so and, and I know that I, I hope that your listeners are, are not too tired of me saying that over and over again. But I think it's really important to recognize, like, that's what Thor, Love and Thunder is wrestling with. That's the theological question that it's wrestling with. It's not wrestling with randomness. As much as we would like it to, maybe, or to have that conversation. And again, I think it's a fascinating conversation. I just don't think, or actually, yeah, I would I think, say it's not the thesis of Thor, Love, and Thunder. Yeah, I think ran the thesis of Thor, Love, and Thunder, as you said, is like, why aren't the gods using their power to prevent terrible things from happening? Right. And I think the existence of randomness is one possible answer to that question, which the movie doesn't raise. Or is another way to approach a similar question, but you're right, isn't what the movie itself is going into. Right, and I would say that the movie's answer to that question, the movie's not interested in, say, in exploring randomness as a possible answer. The movie wants to say, no, 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 love. That there is, that love is the corrective to power, right? Not, see, randomness is about, to a certain degree, Matthew, is about acceptance. You accept a certain amount of random. It's like, look, this just happens. You just sometimes get bad cards or lose a football game or whatever it is. And it's just random. And that's what happens. But that's, I think what the movie wants is to say, hey, here's how humans have agency and power in the universe is through love. Love is the corrective to forces beyond our control and beyond our power. Right. Yeah, I think that's powerful. And I think in that way, like I know a lot of folks have said they don't like this movie because it's too much of like Taika Waititi's jokes. And that whatever you think of that perspective, I do think that this movie is very true to Thor's character. Because what have we seen about, I think in many ways, Thor is the most relational of the Avengers in that he is constantly about, you know, since movie one, he has had this this brother who is, you know, constantly trying to kill him, constantly trying to overthrow him, constantly trying to cause mischief. And Thor will lock him away. Thor will, will do what he can to stop him. But he has never for a moment stopped loving Loki. You know, he has never, he... He meets up with a talking raccoon and he thinks it's a rabbit, but he loves that rabbit, you know, and Mm -hmm. he he's with the Avengers and then he's with the Guardians and then he's with this new group of people. And he just is able to love everybody as he goes. Um, You know, I I think it's 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 in many ways. That's a great part of the Thor sort of character that I really appreciate. Absolutely. And. And uh, if you see on Thor's back, he has all those tattoos and he has a uh, rest in peace Loki and and whatnot. Like mm-hmm. he is about relationship and whatnot. And it actually, Matthew, I want to correct myself because I think that you there is actually a thread of the randomness narrative, although mm-hmm. I it, it vacillates between randomness and process theology, like you said, right. which is um the, the randomness is Jane gets cancer and that there's no water for 
gorge a drink, you know, on his planet. Right. It's not that necessarily the god neglected him. The god's like hanging out, but like random things happen, you know? Right. And yeah, maybe that first god was neglectful. Well, I'll give you that. Well, but um, I, I think but the, there is definitely goes, there just to go to your point, Matthew, there's definitely an undercurrent of randomness within the movie. Um, and right. so I do think it kind of comments on that periodically that there is randomness in the universe. Sometimes you just get cancer, you know, or, yeah. you know, you die in battle, you know, and right. And that's where randomness comes in, but also free will. You can't have a universe where everything's controlled and have free will. So you need a universe that has randomness in it. Right. You know, and that your power isn't more powerful than the randomness. And again, right, because uh, I, I really want to drive this point home is if you abandon the idea that God is all powerful. Mm -hmm. then randomness is okay. And then you have to ask yourself, okay, well, if God's not all powerful and not all knowing and not all loving, then what is God? And why do I need God? And right. I, I a, think that's a good question. And I think it's an important one to ask. And I, I, I won't leave your listeners like hanging like that. And here I will sermonize a little bit and give a little bit of my opinion, <laughs> give a little bit of my opinion is, one is, and granted, I have a very broad definition of God, but I think we've offered this idea that a belief in God allows one to feel connected to the universe as opposed to disconnected. And like Matthew was saying uh, about process theology, right? That, mm -hmm. that that's God. That's not an all-powerful God. Right. But rather, it's a God that exists within the processes of the universe. You know, I, I like to say that God is the creative force in the universe, the force which creates. Yeah. Um, and no, I don't mean force like in Star Wars. I just mean... <laughs> What? They they didn't they didn't trademark the word. It can exist in a lot of other ways. Absolutely. And so, God is that driving force and consciousness that creates, that pushes mm -hmm. evolution, that adapts and helps us adapt. And that's what God is. And now you might say, well, that's not a person. And to which I would say, exactly. <laughs> yeah don't well, don't personify god although we personify god in thor love and thunder right well and then this is and we, we've been going for a while so we can kind of start wrapping up but this is kind of one of the last points i would bring up um and then while you have a chance to do that as well but after we talk about this for a few minutes the one thing that i think is also very interesting about this first few minutes and we don't really know this but the one of the theories i think you can read into what we said is like this is the first time Gore has directly met his God. And Gore talks about, you know, that, that we were told that God is this and God is that. And so I, I kind of, I hear that and kind of what I surmise is like that within Gore's society, there was some kind of priestly rabbinic, you know, whatever it was group who was telling Gore all these things about God. 
Now, it may well be that God, that that God, you know, went to all those priests and said, you have to say this. It may also be, and I think this happened, I think certainly this is one of the biggest critiques I could launch against, you know, religion in our own world, is that often it is the kind of religious leadership that wants to tell people like God, you know, don't worry, God is all powerful, God is all knowing. Uh, and we can get into all kind of religious sociology about why that happens and some of it's belief and some of it's because, you know, when, you know, certainly there's a lot more about the omnipotent God when Christianity becomes the official religion of the Roman Empire. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's coincidental. But, but the point I'm kind of going to is I think this is, for me, it's a very powerful reminder that and to anyone in any kind of position of religious leadership or even just talking to others about these things, it's why when you make promises about God, the expectations it sets up for people— um, one of the most powerful things I ever learned in seminary was our first day in a, a class on prayer. And, and you know, the, 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 the teacher, the professor talked about how, you know, in churches all over the world, I don't think this happens much in synagogues, probably to some extent, you know, they have some moment of like, okay, let's pray. What are the things the congregation wants to pray for? And a lot of times it's, you know, for peace in you know, this part of the world or this or that. And sometimes you can get kind of dueling prayers where one person says, I, you know, can we have peace, you know, pray for our president. And someone else says, no, let's pray for our, et cetera, et cetera. But then, you know, some people will come along and say, you know, my Aunt Mildred has cancer and I want to pray for her cancer. And the professor went on that, that sometimes that person will then come back and say, thank you all for praying the, you know, Aunt Mildred's cancer has been cured or, you know, the chemotherapy worked, she's doing just fine now or it's in remission or whatever. And that if the pastor in that moment says, look, folks, this is the power of prayer. That, you know, God did this. God answered our prayers. And so I'm going on along, but I think it's kind of a complex point. Then the next time when someone says, can we play, pray for my Uncle Larry who has cancer? And for whatever reason, the chemotherapy doesn't work and now Uncle Larry dies. You've told that congregation that God can cure cancer. And so the question then becomes, you know, well, if God could do this, why didn't God do that? You know, and I wonder with someone like Gore, how much was he told? You know, oh, you know, this is going to happen because, you know. And so just the idea of this being that when we tell ourselves stories or, you know, the priests or the rabbis or the whatever the religious, the clerical group in your society is, when they tell, you know, maybe a thousand years ago in Gore's world, there was a drought, but then the people prayed and then there was rain. And so that's why Gore has always been taught, you know, God will send the waters, God will send the rain. And so that's where God, that's why Gore thinks this is what gods are supposed to do. And, and to me, that's just kind of one other idea of that. I think the movie really kind of opens up, even if it doesn't really go far in it, but it's just this question of sort of like, what are the things that we are telling ourselves or others that, that God can do? You know, because every time we say, oh, God did this, then the question becomes, when that doesn't happen, why didn't God do it? Right. And rather than answer that question, I'll, I'll just close with this thought, which is, I think one of the things about Thor, Love and Thunder is you have to decide for yourself what God is, not just listen to what right. others say. I think it's important to hear... I, I, I'm not going to uh, belittle the wisdom. Don't, don't talk yourself out of a job. Right. I'm right not going to talk myself out of a job or be dismissive in any way of uh, the wisdom, the deep wisdom mm -hmm. that Matthew shared today. But 
at the same time, these are hopefully tools to help you figure out for yourself who you are and what your relationship is to the world. You know, not just to rely on somebody else telling you this is how the universe works or this is how you should understand God, but rather, hopefully, it helps you figure out and process for yourself, you know? And what I would say is, is that ultimately I think that that is Jane Foster's arc in the story is Mm. figuring out for herself what it means to be Thor, what it means to be a God. And so I would leave everybody with this, which is what does it mean for you to behave like God? or to bring holiness and sacredness into the world. How do you see the world when you look outside the window? And there's no right answer to any of this. It's what's right for you, what resonates with you, and hopefully what provides you some comfort and solace in moments of isolation, because the universe is a big, big place, and it's nice to feel connected and that connection doesn't have to be to some big human in the sky it can be to the periodic table or to atoms or to the sun or to other people you know but if calling that god doesn't work for you that's fine and if calling that god works for you that's great too so I think that that's what uh, what I'll close with. Yeah, I I really appreciate that. Yeah, it, it um, it, to me I think it's I'm someone who my theology was formed a lot by biblical scholarship and a lot by Star Wars and the Force and like you know I'm sure that somewhere out there in some rabbinical or seminary or you know. Uh, 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 Islamic school or anything like that, someone is writing their thesis for some class on the theology of Gore the God Butcher and those comics. And if you're one of those people listening, send it in. I would love to read it. Absolutely. Um, and I'll just I'll just close with I think is a, a a theology that I really have always appreciated that I think Gore would fit in very well with, which is uh, the Klingon one, which that Worf explains at one point in DS9, I believe, possibly Next Generation, where he says. We Klingons decided our gods were too much trouble, so we killed them. And you know, that's 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 you gotta you gotta find the god that works for you and, and or whatever that might be. And that's I I just love that this movie opened up so many of these questions. So Rabbi Micah, thank you so much for being a part of this conversation. Uh you shared so much, so much wisdom, so much insight. And I hope really giving people a lot of great things to think about. Uh, if people are like, yeah, I want to know more about what this rabbi is talking about and saying, where can they find more of your stuff? You can follow me on TikTok or Twitter at Pop Culture Rabbi. And yeah, that's that's where I'm I've been hanging out lately. So oh you can also follow me at the nerdinitiative.com where I occasionally write articles and whatnot that elaborate on my shorter TikToks and tweets. Yeah. Definitely do so. Uh I've been a big fan of, of Rabbi Micah's TikToks, especially um both sometimes funny, sometimes really kind of pointing out some things I didn't say. And as you and I were talking at the beginning, we kind of, we look forward to a world where there isn't so much, you know, racism or anti-Semitism or queerphobia or transphobia in, in the world that we have to call out. But I really appreciate how often when there is, 
you use your, your platform to call those things out. Um, I and I, I really appreciate that. And it's, I think that's such an important part of the justice work we're all committed to. Um, <clears throat> and for myself, of course, if you go to theethicalpanda.com, that's where you'll find all the ways to contact us. Uh, this, for me, more than anything, this was about exploring these questions. And you heard my perspective. You heard Rabbi Micah's perspective. I want to hear your perspectives. What did you think about this movie? Did this movie raise theological questions for you? Were you, were you kind of rooting for gore on some level along with the movie and thinking about some of your own experiences? Um, do you think this is all nonsense because you just, just wanted to enjoy the fun movie? Whatever your perspective is, we'd love to hear you. On that website, theethicalpanda.com, you'll find all the ways to contact us through Facebook, Twitter, email. You can just send us thoughts, uh, and you can let us know if you want them to read us on, uh, for me to read them on the air during another episode, a feedback episode, or just read them in, and we'll, we'll just keep them to ourselves. But just, I would love to know what you all think. Um, I, I do this podcast because I want to start these conversations. So please go to theethicalpanda.com, let us know what you think about all this, and of course there you can find the other podcasts I do especially the Star Wars Universe podcast. We are currently uh, back to our episode-by-episode coverage of Rebels. We're in the middle of Season 3. We're getting ready for Andor. Um, I'm going to get the best birthday present in a while. Andor goes uh, live on my birthday, August 31st. We've also lined up some coverage of She-Hulk coming up, so we got a lot of great stuff going on. Um, in about a week and a half, one of my favorite shows, Harley Quinn, uh, a show that has a very different ethical perspective than a lot of things we talk about. Um... But but does get into some theological questions for Judaism, to be sure. Uh, that's going to go live, and we'll have an episode about that. So check out all those things on theethicalpanda.com. Please check out all the ways to find Rabbi Micah. And most importantly, as fans, be good to each other. Right.